You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Camila Cano, Flavia, uh, welcome to Token Theatre Friends. I'm so delighted to see you again after two and a half years. Like, I want to catch up with everything that you've been up to, but let's start talking about this beautiful work that you're in right now. Can you talk a little bit about the what the Coast Starlight is and who you play in it? Absolutely. So the Coast Starlight is a play about six people who get on a train, which is known as the Coast Starlight. It's an Amtrak route that runs from Los Angeles to Seattle. It's a 36-hour train ride. And all of these people get on the train with essentially a problem that they need to solve by the time that they get off the train. And it's about how we change each other, but mostly through our imagination, conversations that we have with each other in our minds. Um, so it really is about the power of, of fantasy and and human connection and how we affect each other on molecular levels, whether we know it or not. Um, and this is my second time around doing this play. I'm, I'm, I'm playing Jane. Uh, she gets on in Los Angeles, so she's got all 36 hours to try to figure something out for herself. And I did this play back at La Jolla in 2019, um, which is really when we sort of kicked it off. And now we've landed at Lincoln Center which is a dream come true for me as a, as a city kid in the performing arts, walking all of those streets for so many years and going, oof, I wish I could work here. And here we are. That's beautiful, congratulations to that. Like, I, I, I just wanna say, this play is so freaking romantic. And like, I mean, <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't even know, you know, it's like, this is, we're recording this on Valentine's, week yeah. I guess I'll name it yeah. a week now and this play is so freaking romantic like uh, can you talk a little bit about that romantic element that I feel I don't think I can remember this many just like flat out beautiful proud of themselves romances I've experienced yeah yeah I mean I we've sort of been thinking we've been approaching it kind of like R&J Romeo and Juliet we've been star-crossed lovers who in, re in reality barely even spoke to each other but when we locked eyes, that was it. It was, it was, I, I, I mean, I would dare to say love at first sight. And someone, and, and we've carried each other through our lives all of these years, which is now why we find ourselves recalling when it was that we met in the first place. I, I can't say that I've had an experience like that quite yet, but I, I'm living vicariously through Jane for every, every moment of it. But we've been, yeah, we've been lifting it up in this liminal space, kind of like R&J. It's so fun to play. That's so beautiful. What was it like to to meet, I guess, not meet, but what was it like to have this reunion with Jane again after a few years yeah. being apart? Did it work out like putting on your favorite coat? It, I mean, Jose, honestly, it's probably one of the hardest things I've done. I've never had to revisit a, a, a play before. And even though the majority of the text is the same, this is a completely, we've kind of just flipped her around. It's been four years and so we're all very different. And I think the first time around, she was a complex person, but we kind of took her, I think at face value. And I think we said, okay, she's sort of this shy, 
person. She says these things about herself, therefore, at least in how I saw her, so this is how she is. And I think this time around we've gone, no, I mean, I think she's just a little bit more muddied up, a little bit more complex. She's fiercer, she's sharper, she says exactly what she thinks. And what she says about herself may not entirely be true. Those may be distortions that she has. So I have had to sort of shift it around and I guess to put it in like colloquial English to like talk from the chest a bit more. So it does feel like putting on a jacket, but with a and a hat and gloves. <laughs> a little bit more complicated, but it's also just, it's got more teeth. It's got more muscle. Um, and I think this particular production might even be more fleshed out because we've had so much time for those of us who have come back to sit on it and go, okay, what are the ways that we can really fill in this universe with all of the things that we have lived through and learned, especially through a pandemic and especially since we, uh, the U.S. pulled out of Afghanistan, what have we learned and taken away? Right, because in so many ways, the ways in which we perceive time have changed. Mm. So now, you know, after being uh, in lockdown and isolation and like everything that, uh, you know, I'm not going to remind people everything we've been through because we all know very well. But, you know, we were forced at times to use our imagination or dreams yeah. to feel like we were connected to people. Yeah. I wonder if during that, those four years that you were away from her, did you think about Jane? And do you think about characters that you played after you played them today? I don't want to say haunt you, but do they come and say hi instead? I think Jane is the one character that has stayed with me for this long. Probably because we are very similar. Uh, so much so that this time around, with all of the new excavation that we've been doing, there have been things that have been rewritten for me and informed by my experience as a migrant, um, as a young woman and as, as an artist. Um, yeah, I think, I think it's mostly because we think, we sort of think as quickly as we do. And, and we also have similar obstacles that we're working through precisely because of that experience as young woman, artist, migrant, so many things that we're holding up in the air. Um, I feel like so many social contracts we've had to sign. I, Jane came to the States younger than when I came, so I have a slightly different experience of it, but I think the weight is similar. Um, and so over the years, I, I found myself going, what would Jane do right now? I, what, and, and when I knew that I was gonna do this again back in the fall, I, then I revisited the text and I said, well, I, I, I hear this so differently now. And I think she would too. Jane is very unsure about her path as an artist. Like it seems like she has a hard time reminding herself that she's an artist. Yeah. What advice would you give Jane if you, you know, like if you had a conversation with her? Well, funny, I, I love that you ask uh, right before we start this, what is something that I can look into in order to prepare for this meeting and I um, I talked about the Audre Lorde's use of the erotic, which is something that Tyne, uh, the director, gave to me when we started to think about what is this central 
obstacle that is holding her back and sort of distorting other aspects of her life. And it starts with her relationship, but it also extends extends to her work as an artist and to her relationship with her family. What is this thing at the core that is sort of allowing her to deny herself some sort of experience of fullness? Um, and when I was reading that essay by Audre Lorde, she talks about so many of us as living a life that is not in accordance with the extent of joy and pleasure that we know that we can feel. And I think, I would say, really, really get quiet. Find a space in which you can get really quiet and hone in on that ability to listen to the whisper of intuition, which is something that I've also am starting to understand myself. Um, I, I, I think I struggle in a similar way as many, as many of us do, but I think the, the voices of doubt are very loud, and so it's really hard to hear the whisper and hear the voice that says, this feels right, this feels good, maybe I should follow that rather than this sense of responsibility that I think I have to people and to places and to things. Does riding the train for you every night after doing the play, has it changed your experience of how you perceive the train? It actually has. I remember in the beginning of rehearsal, I would put in my AirPods and I would get take my book out and I would turn off the music or I would leave the music on and read my book and sort of get into this, this, this shell that I've constructed for myself. And I think this is also just the nature of doing a play and having to open up day after day with also this incredible group of artists that we have. And I, I always say this, but I feel like this play always attracts just the right kind of people. So whenever we show up, it's just, we flower our hearts to each other, it feels like. And so I think it's a mixture of that and then also just curiosity of going, hmm, what if I meet someone today? What if I meet a TJ on the, on the three train on my way back to Brooklyn? <laughs> if only. Um, but I do, I do notice that I make a lot more eye contact with people. I'm quicker to start conversations or maybe if somebody says something, I'll hop in and say, oh yeah, I saw this and this and that and that, or I heard this, or you want to take that train. I feel a lot more open to the environment around me. Something that Jay definitely knows though is that she was called to be an artist. That's why she can't stop creating. Like even when she's writing the train, can you talk about what was it like for you growing up and going, oh, wow, I, I, I know what I want to be? Like, yeah. how did that happen for you? It's funny that you asked that. Yesterday was her first preview, and I was calling my dad, and I was telling him how, about how nervous I was. Um, and he, whenever I tell him how nervous I am, he, he gives me the space, and he listens, and he goes, okay, okay. I hear, I hear your frustrations. I hear your your anxious thoughts. But just so you know, we have videos of you when you were little doing this. We have we have videos of you performing and you, that you never wanted us to see. But we would get footage of you performing by yourself, playing princess, playing this, playing that. So that that performative aspect has always been there. I wanted to be a dancer at first, but then I then a ballet got too serious. 
people started showing up a little bit. It, it, was, it got too competitive. I, I stopped seeing that many smiles in the ballet room. I said, mm, this just does it feel like it sucked the joy out of it. I said, okay, let's move on to something else. I know I want to be in front of people. I know I want to perform. I don't know what it is. So my parents put me in a, in a musical theater summer camp here in the city called Tada. Uh, and we did several weeks of, of rehearsals for the show and classes, and then we put the show together. Um, musical theater is not for me. I cannot sing and dance and act at the same time. But I did like the talking part of it. Uh, and so by, I think it was the end of, yeah, by middle school, here in the city, you have to apply to high schools, and for some of them, you have to audition. And so I said, okay, let me let me try to audition for a performing arts high school. So let's see what happens. Um, and I got into my first choice, which was professional performing arts high school. Well, first it was LaGuardia, but they didn't want it, so I went <laughs> for professional performing arts high school, which was a gift. Uh, and then from there, that's where I started my training, and it felt like there was not an interrupted moment of me wanting to continue this path for better or for worse <laughs> on the hard days it feels like worse but on the good days it it's life affirming what were some things that you learned in school that looking back you go i wish i had paid more attention in class that day <laughs> well i think i was one of the people i was one of those first front row kids with their arms raised asking questions. So I think I was pretty I was pretty present for most of it. But I think the biggest takeaway in my time we were BFAs and MFAs together in one classroom. So when I was 17 I had 30-year-old classmates. Um, and we learned a lot from each other. I think when you're older and you're looking at younger actors there's something about that sense of play that many of the MFAs would come up to us after and go, thank you for the reminder. And I think for us, um, looking at the MFAs, it was a sense of groundedness and um, sort of belief in what you're doing and that what you have will be enough. And you should trust that it, it'll be able to, to read. And I think that's the point where I'm at now, trying to circle back to what I'd learned from them at that point, which is okay. I can trust that I've done this work. I can trust that I know this character. Just leave it at the door and see what happens. You have to leave some of it up to mystery. Otherwise, what's where's the fun? Take the leap, right? Yeah. What's one thing that you wish people in school had at least mentioned that you had no idea was something that you, you would deal with in your uh, professional life? I wish I had known that you really need to carve out a profound self-care practice that entails, it, it's going to look different for different people. I know for me, I need to meditate, I need to walk, I need to bike, depends on the day. But that was not something that was prioritized um, in school, mostly because you're doing back-to-back -back things and of course you have teachers say, yeah, just go get some sleep, get some rest, get some this. But rest looks so different. Recharging looks so different for, for different people. And I think I had known, which is something, another thing I'm learning now, is that rest is what allows you to step into your power. 
It's not, you can't think your way into it. You can't act your way into it. Sometimes you just have to stop and slow down. And that was not, I mean, also in PWIs, they're gonna, they're, again, they're going to look different, but at least where I was, it was just moving at a mile a minute. And now, what is it, five years, yeah, five years out, I'm learning, okay, whenever I feel the noise and the pressure, that's exactly the moment where I need to pull back and go, okay, I'm going to stop. Yeah. Do you have any practical suggestions? Because I've tried meditation, for instance, and I'm sure that many people try to meditate, and we all have this uh, preconceptions and this idea of what meditation should look like. Mm. And living in cities like New York, and Madrid, where it's like activity and noise all the time. How do you escape that? How are you able to carve out that uh, sacred space in order to ground yourself? Yeah, I think the first thing, well, I will say that over the pandemic, many things happened over the pandemic, but I also got my yoga teacher training <laughs> certification um, over over six months. Uh, and I, I've, since then, I've sort of lost the consistency of the meditation as I used to do it before. I still do it every day, but it's not quite as, I don't carve out that much time. But I think the first place I start from is to get rid of all of the shoulds. I should be sitting still. I should be quiet. My brain should be thinking about one thing or about nothing. That's where I start. And I sort of think of it as a, I'm going to sit down. I either close my eyes or I don't. Or however I'm feeling today, there are days when I am so jittery, I cannot close my eyes. Um, and so I, I clock all of the expectations that I have for this thing that I'm about to do. And then I go, okay, I, all I'm going to do is do a quick scan of how I'm, how I'm feeling today. And then I look, I, I, I run it through the system and I go, okay, okay, this is where we're at. I'm not going to judge it. I'm just going to sit with it. And that's usually where I start. And sometimes it'll take me 10 minutes. And that's the extent of my practice. But it's usually just 10 minutes of going, okay, expectation, got to let that go. Expectation, got to let that go. And if I have to bring myself back 10,000 times, I bring it back 10,000 times. It, it's a long practice. <laughs> it's, a, it's a long everyday practice of... I think it really is a practice of coming undone and dismantling all of the things that we think we should do or should be. That's really what it helps me emphasize. What was it like to return to a field that, um, let's say, is still going through a process of self-awareness and correction yeah. and being more generous to the people who are a part of it, the people who create it, basically? Um, did you find that things had changed from, you know, doing the play, I mean, in the field in general, doing the play four years ago to doing it today in 2023? What are the things that I felt that had changed within myself and other people? And in, in the field of theater, did you find it more? Yeah. Yeah. I, I know that's a very broad question. It could mean so many things, so we can either yeah. narrow it down or... Let's see. What I felt had changed... I mean, yeah, this is, this is my first play since we last spoke, since, since Macbeth. Um, 
and at least for the people that I know coming back into this, there is, I feel like we all stepped in with raw nerves. <laughs> That's really, I think for, for those of us, most of us are doing a play for the first time since the pandemic who have returned. Um, and I could just feel this deep desire <laughs> to feel and to be in community and to be in communication and also to add into the mix the the layers of what they've experienced through these past few years. I know that I, in, during the table work process, I threw in so many stories about the last few years and family and health and, and politics, which plays a pretty big part in, in the play. Um, yeah, but I, I felt mostly just an openness and a generosity that I think feels more heightened because I might have taken it for granted before because for me, I was always going to do this and it was going to be completely interrupted. And three years later, I'm like, please give me more. <laughs> I want more of this. Um, yeah. Yeah, I can't I can't say so much across the field because this is this is my first time back. Hopefully not my last for for years and years. For a while back there there was a possibility that, you know, it sounds very dramatic, but I think it's true. There was a possibility that we might never mm. uh, be able to be in community again, or if not never, at least for a very, 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 very long time. Not, we, not that we didn't not go through a very long time. Of course. But it could have been longer. So how, what kept you going? You know, what, I, I don't think anything could replace the feeling of being on stage and performing, yeah. but but what kind of, I don't know. Yeah. I was your Nicorette, I guess. I think in the, in the very, very beginning, I was right after the lockdown, I was a bit glad to have a break from the theater, mostly because of what we were seeing in terms of how a lot of these theaters were running, um, the the cases of, of, of deeply rooted racism and sexism and isms in the institutions that I was quite grateful for uh, some sort of moment of, of, of pause and perhaps some reckoning. Um, and so that, that took a few months and I was glad to get it out of my system and just, and, and take a break. And then after that, I said, wow, wait, why do I feel so empty? What is, what's how, what, what I'm, I'm living with, with friends. I'm living with family in this lockdown. I'm always around people. And yet the way that I am connecting, although deep is not what I'm usually used to, which is just a deep, dropped in profound connection with people in front of other people. Um, and then that, that hit a bit like a Mack truck a few, a few months in. And so what I would do is I would, my friends and I would over zoom, we would do readings of plays. We would say, Hey, I haven't, I have never read this play before. Let's read it together. And so we kept each other entertained and luckily, you know, some TV and some film work came in, but nothing compares to having a live audience sharing in on the story. It's, it's another character. So it's, it's, 
it's a bit like a jack-in-the-box because you'll be doing this thing that you've rehearsed and then people laugh at something and you go, oh, wait, that is, that is something. That is a moment that you, you can't cover all of the bases and the audience does the rest of that work for you. Um, it's so that, that, unex, that spontaneous, unexpected experience. I mean, I think Nicorette is right. It is, it is like a... It is, it is a high that I was, I was definitely missing. And luckily I knew that I was going to do this a few months ago. So that kind of kept me going through the fall. But for a bit there last year, I was like, oh my gosh, I, I need to find a play to do. Because this is nothing compares to this. And it's, it's true. I mean, last night was the first time we had an audience and we learned so much about this play. We might even have a bit of a comedy on our hands so as it turns out so man what are some plays that you go to over and over whether it is for nuggets of wisdom or because yeah. they feel like like you know like chicken soup if you're into chicken soup mm. for comfort uh, <laughs> i might do a veggie broth but uh <laughs> something i usually find myself going back to uh I use it kind of like a like a like a thermometer is is the best way that I can think about. But it, the play "Grief is the Thing" with Fe well the novel, and then Enda Walsh adapted it into into a play "Grief is the Thing" with feathers. Um, and there's a the monologue at the very end. I saw it at St. Anne's with Killian Murphy, and it was, I mean, it was excellent. Um, and there's a monologue at the very end where the dad takes his two sons to scatter his wife's ashes. And there's actually a moment, I don't know if you remember in, in, in the reading of it, there's a moment when a similar thing happens in this play. And I think I, that's probably why I love that monologue so much because it reminds me of the moment in, in, in the Coast Starlight, the, the, the imagery of it and the sort of, it, it's, it's that reminder of the brief like this brief suspense of life and then it's all gone um and the joy and the bittersweetness and the yeah the brevity of it all i every time i read it i go okay okay i i know what i'm doing i know that i'm on the right path i know that this is what i should be doing because i'm feeling this piece of text so deep inside and i know that when i when i when i do theater and and when I see theater I feel reconnected with a sense of purpose and so it's it's usually I usually read it like once every two three weeks when I remember I go huh, let me look at that monologue again thank you for sharing that that's really beautiful so with that in mind I mean you basically described theater and life uh <laughs> very succinctly and poetically so thank you for that with that in mind um please invite our viewers and our listeners to come see the play and anything else that's that you're in that's out there in any medium Absolutely. right now um well please everyone come see us at the coast starlight we're going to be at lincoln center until april 16th we've just started previews we open march 13th and so you've got two months to come and and ride the train with us we promise it will not be 36 hours we'll keep you just under it um, and you can also see me in my first film, Baby Ruby, um, written and directed by Bess Wool. 
And in a few months' time, not entirely sure when, but three women on Showtime will be out, and you may see a familiar face. <laughs> well, congratulations, and break a leg, have fun, enjoy this train ride. You Thank deserve you so it. Much. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.